We are talking today about farming through a drought. And our resident expert in Extreme Ag, we've got all kinds of experts, right? We've got five founders plus our affiliates. But the one guy that comes to the absolute top of the conversation, we're talking about farming and difficult as in drought-like situations, is Lee Lubers of Gregory, South Dakota. Uh, Lee farms a lot of ground up there. It's almost all dry land farming. And God knows when we say dry, it can be very dry. So we're going to talk about the practices, the products, and also, most importantly, the personal preparation. Welcome to Extreme Ag's Cutting the Curve podcast, where you get a guaranteed return on investment of your time as we cut your learning curve with the information you can apply to your farming operation immediately. Extreme Ag, we've already made the mistakes, so you don't have to. Managing your farm's water resources is a critical component to a successful and sustainable farming operation. Advanced Drainage Systems helps farmers just like you increase their yields up to 30% with their technologically advanced water management products. Visit ADSPipe.com to see how they can keep your business flowing. Now, here's your host, Damian Mason. Well, greetings and welcome to another fantastic episode of Extreme Ag's Cutting the Curve. You know, it can be very anguishing. It can be very stressful when you don't get good weather and farming. Well, imagine a place that is prone to dryness. So that's what we're going to talk about. Lee Lubers, thanks for being here. Um, real quickly, um, your operation farms what in Gregory, South Dakota? Well, we uh, farm corn, soybeans, and winter wheat, and... Uh... From in West River, South Dakota, ain't for sissies, especially not in a dry year. And by the way, that's one thing that the average non-South Dakotan doesn't know, that the South Dakotans refer themselves as East River or West River, meaning there's a river that kind of divides about what? It's not even half. It's like about one third of the way over. When you get east of it, it starts to remind you of like the Midwest, like where I'm from. It looks normal. There's farm ground. They grow potatoes and stuff like that. I don't know, normal corn, soybeans. There used to be dairy farms there. It reminded me of my my area of Indiana. You go out to where he is, and I've worked in winter, which is about, I think, 20 or 30 miles from you. It's a way different topography. Tell us about what happens when you go West River. Uh, a lot more variability in weather. Uh, you can get large rain events and then go long periods of time with nothing. Uh, you know, uh, soybeans have been in our area since back in the mid-1980s. Uh, we actually raised soybeans for the first time in 1986. We, we were like the first people that really did them on a larger scale. Uh, but, you know, crops have adapted going west. The corn belt has moved more west, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's a little bit more trying and uh, for weather. But, hey, we're used to it. So you and I are basically the same age. We're 52, 53 years old, I think. Um, so when you were a kid, it was wheat country, right? Mm -hmm. and, and some oats and probably uh, a little bit of corn. You're not too far from Mitchell where the corn palace is. What's mm -hmm. changed? You said soybeans, you were the first place to do it. And that was less than 40 years ago. Tell us about the change. Yeah, as uh, no-till started to come into play, that's when a lot of things transitioned. Uh, in 1986, we raised about 700 acres of soybeans. That was the first time anybody raised anything of scale in our area. People thought we were nuts, but we were used to it and uh, just getting going. And then that's also when we started to shift away. Uh, we were not fans of uh, summer fallow and wheat. So we were trying to no-till. 
with what equipment we had and or even do minimum till, get away from the summer fallow and, and actually continuous crop. And then uh, a lot of guys, they raised, you know, oats and even sorghum. And uh, I remember in 1993, uh, we started farming in further west in Tripp County, about uh, 20 to 30 miles to the west. And we were planting corn in the spring and people are coming up to us and they couldn't. But what are you guys doing out there with the planter? Everybody else is planting oats. And they said, you can't raise corn in Tripp County. Four years later, there was corn everywhere. So, yeah, <laughs> things started to change. And then uh, John Deere actually coming out with that, uh, the no-till single blade opener uh, really made a huge difference in uh, being able to plant beans and wheat successfully in no-till. So answer me this. The reality of the weather problems is, you know, it's more volatile, West River, South Dakota. Obviously, you have hard, cold winters. But let's talk about the drought part of this. Um, you're not having a drought this year. You were wet. You had you had good moisture, and the Dakotas are wet this year. Am I right? Uh, we actually started out bone dry. Uh, we got only one snow last winter. That was early December. And then it was a brown winter. We had no snow cover. Uh, by the end of April, the grass wasn't even greening up and looking good here. It was getting really grim. And then it rained for over a day and we got soaked up and everything took off and exploded and looking good. And then we were getting dry again. We went and we planted with no rain delays, uh, just went till we were done. And uh, it was time for another rain again. And we lucked out and we got a wetter period for about 10 days mm -hmm. and okay now, but we work with a very advanced weather forecasting guy and uh, we're getting ready for dry weather again. Uh, the next six weeks are gonna be a challenge. It's gonna be pretty lean from what uh, we're learning from Simon. Okay, so you've got a, a, a weather consultant. You know, most farmers have a weather on their phone. They listen to it when they're driving around their truck. They watch it on the evening news. They're obsessed about the weather, but they don't have a weather guy. You have a weather consultant. Yeah, we've been working with him for a better part of a decade. Uh, it's very advanced forecasting. We go almost a year out at times. And how? And, and so the average weatherman uh, and the average uh, uh, gal that reads the weather on the news is probably accurate about 30% of the time. How, how is it with Simon? Uh, he's very accurate. Uh, I never watch TV or listen to the radio on the weather. I no. totally, uh, they're, they're terrible. <laughs> So you just go what you just go what Simon tells you. All right. So let's talk about the reality of the weather. You are dry more than not. That's a fair statement. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, we go through in a good year would probably be considered a drought in the ice states at yeah. times. Yeah. So I get about thirty. I get about thirty-eight inches. I get about thirty-eight inches of annual precipitation here at my farm in Huntington, Indiana. What's a normal precipitation year? And that's of course rain, snow, all altogether thirty-eight inches. Uh, last I looked here. What is it where you are? Uh, we're in the eighteen to twenty of annual precip, and that includes snow. And uh, we've had years uh, where the entire year is sub ten inches. Okay. You know, and so. Years. Let's talk about practices because you do a hell of a job uh, of getting yield out of your acres practices. First thing I know we've talked about before on this podcast. So dear listener, go back and listen. If you want, we talked about what it's like to be 
almost all no-till, 17,000 acres and only a few hundred of those acres actually get tilled and that's to fix a problem or uh, to straighten out after doing a drainage project or something like that. No-till is one of your practices that you think helps with water conservation, right? Absolutely. Uh, we value our residue. Um, so tell me about how, why the person that is managing drought, um, if they think it's going to be a bad year, which it looks like it's shaping up to be a bad year here where I am, we're, we're in the 90s and we don't have any rain in the forecast and we haven't gotten any right here where I am. No-till. What do you think it saves you? Does it, does it, does it, make, does it make a 10-inch precipitation year seem like a 20-inch because you didn't get the moisture worked out of it? Uh, it doesn't make all the difference, but, but it's huge. Uh, we have to manage our residue and keep it even so that we can plant into it and do a good job. Uh, but that mulch is there for the earthworms and that's helping us out soil biology wise and, uh, keeping our ground working good and also ground cover, keeping the ground cooler in the summertime. If you take bare ground and, uh, you check it with a heat gun, yeah. you can, it can be scorching hot. It's actually deadly to the plants. It'd be over a hundred degrees at times in a bad day. And you can go and keep it down. You can cool it 15, 20 degrees with good residue management. And once you get up in the upper eighties, not only uh, does it start hurting your plants, but on soil temp, uh, it starts shutting down biology and all activity once you start cracking about 89 degrees. So uh, the more we can keep that ground cool in the mulch, conserve moisture, uh, that's huge for us. Because every time if we went out and just did mass tillage, uh, we could be losing, you know, a half inch to an inch of precip out of the ground. And uh, that can be make or break for us. Sure. And so what you're saying is the no-till obviously helps, but also you've, you've mentioned it twice now, the residue. You make sure that there's cover, there's stuff on top of your ground. You know, people talk about cover crops. You're not even, you're not necessarily a cover crop guy. You just make sure that you've got something out there that's covering up that soil because that is just like when you dig down to mulch around your house or something, is there's moisture underneath there, right? Absolutely. Yeah, it makes a huge difference for us. What about uh, timing? Uh, you know, farmers love to look at the calendar. And the only thing that makes farmers get more excited than the calendar is if the neighbors start doing something. Because God knows when the neighbors pull the equipment out, then they think they've got to. You can probably hurt your moisture situation by getting on it at the wrong time, packing it down, something like that. Talk to me about timing. Uh, yeah, we know in no-till that we have to focus on planting right and avoiding seed slot compaction. So there are times maybe we can't start as early. Uh, we've got to wait a few days, but it's all about the long game and uh, making it through the whole season. So that's always our focus. We plant based on conditions, not on calendar. Uh, that's what we look at. Uh, and also, we like to spread ourselves out with varieties and maturities. Uh, we want things spread out, uh, tasseling over a three-week period. Uh, we don't want to tassel in one week because in our environment, that could be the one bad week. Okay, so so you think it's better, uh, it spaces out your equipment and your time because you don't have a lot of employees. For as many acres you cover, you told me in a previous recording, one of the reasons for no-till was moisture conservation, but also just cost and 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 uh, equipment usage and time and employees. You don't have a lot of employees. Yeah, we run lean and mean. That's the way we run. What about, uh, I wrote in here a note, 
Is there something you don't do that other farms do that you think helps with managing drought? Is there any practice you don't do that other people do? Uh, we're not into uh, like harvesting our residue, taking it off. Yeah. We want to keep it on there. Uh, some guys will look at uh, bailing up their corn stalks yeah. and then the ground blows. We don't want to do that. Uh, we want everything to stay in the field. Wheat, you, know? you don't do wheat straw either? You don't bail off any of the straw? We don't. We get, the phone's been ringing off the hook for the last two months on that being a drier year and they can keep ringing. It's, it's staying in the field going on the ground. Okay, I was gonna say, so if I'm, if I'm a big, uh, South Dakota's getting all kinds of dairy farms now. So if I'm a big dairy farm and I'm moving from California to South Dakota and I say, damn it, I need some straw. You're not gonna sell it to me? Nope. <laughs> Got it. All right, we're gonna talk about practices. Uh, we already just talked about practices. We're gonna talk about products. But before we get into products, we're gonna take a quick break here and hear from our sponsor. Hey farmers, wanna save money on fertility without sacrificing yield? Harvest last season's nutrients for this season's crop with Extract, powered by Accomplish. I'm Damian Mason. I'm host of Extreme Ag's Cutting the Curve, and every day we talk about ways to be more profitable, to do better by your soils, and I'm telling you this might be the answer. Extract, powered by Accomplish, is exclusively available from Nutrient Ag Solutions. So contact your local Nutrient Ag Solutions crop consultant to learn more. All right, welcome back. Talking to Lee Lubers, Gregory, South Dakota. And we're talking about drought management, practices, products, and most importantly, the personal preparation. You know what? You farm in a tough area, Lee. And so we just talked about the practices that you do and you do not do. We talked about the reality of your weather. You said that 18 inches is a normal precipitation year. That counts the conversion of snow. And you said a lot of years you're in that sub 10 inches. There's a lot of people who are saying, wait a minute, you must do a lot of irrigation. Do you do a lot of irrigation? Uh, we're just off the Ogallala Aquifer, so we're all dry land. Uh, it'd be very hard to be able to tap into a vein to get a well that would even perform in our county. Uh, yeah, during the growing season, I mean, let's just say during April, May, June, July, August, I mean, yeah, if, if we break, you know, 10 inches of rain during that time, we'll, we'll consider that good on certain years. I mean, there's sometimes we can get 15 inches or more during that time period, but uh, like this year, we've had uh, one rain event in the end of April, one in the beginning of June. We had a wetter period, and then we caught a couple showers over the weekend. And uh, the next six weeks are looking pretty dry for us. So, kind of yeah. like when I think about camels, they say that camels, uh, they can go like a day without drinking. And then when they get there, they just drink a whole bunch of water. That's kind of like the way precipitation works in Gregory, South Dakota, I'm thinking. It's kind of the camel effect, right? Yeah, we're all about, we want to get, soak up that moisture, uh, keep it from sheeting off, keep the residue there to get the water into the ground and uh, build it into our profile. Because if we do it right and uh, plant correctly and, and kind of help foster our crops along, we'll have better root systems and they'll hold in longer. Like my brother says, we're in the business of buying time uh, when our crops most years. Products. Um, I, I like that statement, by the way. Products, um, the genetics have improved. We've got better stuff to work with than when you and I were kids, right? So drought management is easier because of genetics and because of the products you're given. Am I right? Yeah, absolutely. Been huge advancements in genetics. Uh, when we look at our seed, 
we don't look at the cost of the bag. We look at the value that's in it. And uh, so we're always looking at good defensive hybrids and uh, we're looking at root scores, drought scores, how defensive they are. That matters a lot in our environment. And uh, we never look at anything that's a racehorse, you know, that somebody brags up like, hey, it can do good. You yeah. know, uh, we, we want consistency. That's we what we're you told me in a previous recording where we talked about seed, you said something like, uh, I think your line was, you never look at ways to save money on seed because you think that every time you've ever tried that, uh, there was, you did not recoup. You did, the cost savings did not justify itself. Yeah, if we cut corners on seed, it's, yeah, the cost back to us could be tenfold. Yeah, and you said that, uh, <laughs> that the other thing, when somebody pulls in the driveway and they're, uh, from a lesser seed company, they say our seed is just like. Then you tell them to get back in their truck and leave, right? Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> so you can't be a seed salesman, and you can't be looking to bale straw and come on Luber's Farms. Yeah, I I, I don't get a lot of love and uh, and Christmas cards from seed salesmen. So droughts drought stress uh, on personal and on the crop. Before we get on the personal side of it, let's talk about the products. You're big on stress mitigation products. Tell me what that looks like, what you use and uh, what the results are. Well, it actually even starts with our core fertility. We have to have good fertility, have what the crop needs and have it balanced. Uh, we've noticed time and time again uh, that well, we've had people around us say, hey, my corn is firing and Actually, it's nutrient deficiency. Nutrient deficiencies have weakened the plant and then it will fire. Uh, so our goal is to keep our corn greener longer, you know, again, by the time, mm. hopefully the rain comes in time. So we're trying to buy time. Uh, core fertility, uh, growth regulators, uh, we're experimenting with some next gen products uh, in stress mitigation. Uh, we're going to be applying four different things from different companies and uh, all trying to keep our plant functioning during hot dry periods and we'll do a lot of very serious comparisons this year so stress mitigation you use a couple of products that you're actually putting in you put them in at planting or you spray them over the top or what uh we're doing a combination of both actually uh we have some trials with some newer ones in furrow uh we're going to experiment with a new foliar one from agrison uh, kind of looked at some preliminary data and and Kelly worked with it last year and he had a drier period, saw some very promising results. We're going to work with that. Uh, we're going to work with a total of four different products. Uh, one we've been versed with, what more versed with for a longer period of time. Yep. And that's very adaptable product. We'll put that on with fungicide or herbicide or anything. But we are going to make some actual individual passes separate passes just for stress mitigation this year and that's on every crop uh we're gonna focus we've already got the wheat done wheat has already been done that's been applied for head scab everything's been done so now it's just the next 30 days up to harvest so now it's up to mother nature and uh, we've done all we can and corn we're just getting ready to this next week and then Soybeans, most of those trials will be starting around R1 to R3, more reproductive time. Okay. When it comes to then, we're talking about stress mitigation. We're talking about drought management. Now let's talk about the personal side. 
it's, it's a tough business. Um, you're kind of out there. You farm with your brother. Uh, you don't do coffee shop talk. Uh, and that's one thing we're always proud of out here at Extreme Ag. We don't do the coffee shop crowd. We do intelligent discussion. We're trying to advance our, uh, our businesses. You're kind of a loner a little bit, though. You look out there and it doesn't rain. Tomorrow it doesn't rain. Every day you go to the rain gauge, it's kind of like, well, when's there going to be something filling this thing up? How do you handle that? What do you turn to? How do you keep from getting stressed? Do you get stressed? Do you? Do, what's it like? Well, we know we can't control that aspect, so uh, we don't want to lose too much sleep on it or any sleep. Uh, it can be frustrating at times, especially if you see your crop wither and that rain is not coming. The, the, you know, it's like, man, we spent how many million dollars, you know, to get this crop in the ground and, and uh, yeah, watching it burn up is no fun. And, and we've seen that. I mean, in 2012, uh, we had some that was barely worth combining. But then we had some fields that were very good. But we also learned a lot from that year. And we've had advancements in genetics since then. And now we're kind of working on the stress mitigation aspect of it. Uh, we're more dialed in on that than we was 10 years ago. Yeah. And I guess it's having a positive mindset. I mean, if, if you plant your crop in the spring, figuring it's not going to do good, guess what? You've lost half the battle right there. It's a positive mindset. I mean... We're planning on having, well, the way my brother and I look at it, we have the saying, let's raise the best possible crop we can for what mother nature is going to allow. Yep. If it comes, we cannot dictate that. If it's a hailstorm, we can't dictate that. Uh, yeah. Uh, so uh, I think that'd be very stressful. And I mean, I, I get to, I get stressed with my business. It's, it's, it's natural because you're trying to achieve uh, you can't control the weather, but you can make certain decisions. Uh, health habits. Do you have good health habits to help you stay positive? You know, people say, oh, well, he's just a naturally happy guy. A lot of people that are naturally happy actually work hard at it. They do certain things that, that make them be positive. Do you have health? Do you have good habits? Well, the most powerful tool you have in the field and out of the field is right here. Mm -hmm. Sure, mine. And then also, uh, I have an awesome family. Uh, people that I can talk to, have some really good friends. Uh, we can bounce ideas off of. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, the best thing is don't keep it bottled up inside. Don't take it out on yourself, because if we go through if we go through a drought, it's not our fault. We we've done our best, and uh, yeah. All right. So you you farm with your brother. Who's better at managing weather stress, you or him? You're the more you're the more of the business guy, and he's the more uh, practices guy. Am I right? Yeah, it's like yin and yang. It's weird. We we just talk about it, and and I don't. We we handle it pretty much the same. <laughs> it, it's it's uh, not probably the normal situation, but the way we both view it, it's and it's like, hey, we've done what we can. It sucks, but we keep moving on. And uh, also, we're diversified multiple crops and spread out a little bit geographically. Uh, so spreading your risk, different soil types, different planting dates. We're doing a lot of things to mitigate and manage that risk. We're doing yeah. a lot of to spread that out. So we feel pretty good about it. You know, we, we've dealt with droughts before. Uh, this year, we're not getting discouraged. We're like keeping our eye on the prize. Were you better at the stress when you were younger or are you better at it now? Better at it now. Yeah, I, I think that that's, I think that there is a thing um 
when you're 25 or 30, you know that there's things you don't know, but you're almost still arrogantly ignorant. Uh, so, so now you get to be a certain age. You're like, all right, I'm not as ignorant because I've lived through it. I've lived through it. I've obviously done something right. Cause I'm still standing. Right. And then I think that it's kind of like, for me, it's probably the same for you. Uh, wait a minute, this ain't going to kill me. Cause it didn't kill me the last time it happened and the time before that. And so you're a little more, shall we say, uh, resilient because you've already weathered the storm a couple of times. Exactly. Yeah. It's, you know, the shock has worn off, I guess you could say. <laughs> um, from the weather standpoint, uh, you, you got this drought thing going on. What what key things do you dial into? I mean, you go out and, and you're still saying, I can salvage this crop, right? Uh, it's getting dry. I can salvage this crop. What thing do you go out there? What what do you look at? What what thing do you dial into and say, I, this is all, this is the one thing I can do to make a difference? Is there anything? It's just focus on doing a good overall job, you know, uh, get it in the ground right, plant good seed, have fertility in the place, have your inferral program in place. I mean, uh, focus on raising that good crop. And the more we focus on that in, in the broad scheme, the better we seem to do during our stress periods. It seems to me that most of what you've talked about, Lee, is preventive. Um, it's kind of like the three little pigs, the, the straw house, the twig house and the brick house, the pig, you know, the, the brick house was all done ahead of time. You're talking about no-till. You're talking about, you said you farm based on conditions, not on the calendar. You said you are religious about e even distribution of residue that therefore insulates your soil and protects it and holds in some moisture. Those are all preventive things. Those are not fix after the problem things. Uh, yeah, exactly. You know, a more proactive mindset and uh, coming into it instead of being reactive and being totally emotional, that's when you're going to feel more discouraged, you know? Uh, when you say you're better at managing the weather stress now than when you were young, what'd you do wrong back then? Why, why are you better at now? Besides the fact that you've got some years of experience, is there, is there something that you've, you decided you're going to put up something that you do now differently than you did 20 years ago? Well, we've transitioned to the no-till system yeah. and we've got more years under our belt. And uh, I was talking to a couple of landlords recently and they even commented too. They said, the longer you farm our ground, the better it seems to do. And I go, yeah, we're noticing that too. So yeah. it takes a while. It's, it's nothing happens overnight. Yeah. You know, it takes time and uh, it's like we're getting better soil function, fertility, biology, everything's happening. And that's helping us during these stress periods also. So back to the stress period about you, because we said we we're talking about the personal. A lot, of, a lot of farm people don't do a good job of discussing the personal side of it. It's a stressful job. It's a stressful business. Again, you can be kind of out there, but you you aren't a loner. You do farm with your brother. So you and him both talk through these things. Uh, I mean, time that you've been stressed where the weather and you honestly didn't, didn't, didn't uh, sleep at night. Have you had that? I can't think of that. <laughs> been a long time. I don't know. The time has been, you know. Uh, you're you're pretty well insured, so that probably has to help. Yes. Yeah, we use crop insurance, but basically, uh, we view crop insurance like we also view income tax. Let's go farm. Let's do the best job we can, and we'll deal with the taxes mm. after we raise the crop. 
with our tax planning. We do our tax planning, but we deal with taxes on the backside. We don't let it hinder or influence our business. Uh, same way when it comes around to practices or stress or anything else, it's like an insurance, let's focus on doing the best job we can. We're not farming for crop insurance. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we went and it's a numbers game. We look at it and it's all ratios. Uh, we can pick our coverage in about a 15 minute period. And that's even when we visit with our agent, uh, we've kind of got a system down. It's uh, strictly numbers and it's ratios mm-hmm. and motion out of it. And we make our choices. We let our bank know and they go, yeah, we think you made some good choices. And then we go about our day and let's go raise that crop. Uh, we that, don't, if, what we're, what we're going to do for practices. If you had, I get it. So you're, you're not farming for the insurance where that used to be a critical, a, crit, a criticism of some farming operations. They just farm to the insurance. You farm for crop and then insurance is your backup. It's, you know, it's kind of like a get hit by a bus policy. If you had the worst drought uh, you've experienced in the last 20 or 30 years, if you had that this year, would your crop insurance still make you profitable or just cover your, uh, cover your ass? Uh, in our area, well, everything is uh actuarials, you know, uh, on any insurance, all that risk is priced into premiums. Yep. We have friends in Indiana, we look at what their coverage is and their premiums is, they're paying a third of the premium and having way more coverage because they don't have the loss histories that we have in our area. Yep. With the wilder swings and weather, and we are a higher risk area. I think South Dakota and Texas are the Two states uh, in North Dakota, I think, is third. That's the top three, mm-hmm. I think, indemnities. So that tells you kind of tough places to farm. Maybe maybe those insurance companies, Lee, are trying to tell you that you should just pick up stakes, that only a fool would be farming there. Is that what they're trying to tell you? I don't listen very well. <laughs> uh, advice. Somebody that's, uh, that's, that's really struggling uh, with a dry year from the standpoint of the practices, the products, then of course the personal. Any advice you've got? You've weathered a lot of this. You're, you've been doing this for 30 some years. Uh, you're good at it. What's your advice? Don't give up. Don't let it get the best of you. Uh, there's people out there that care about you. Reach out to them. Uh, talk to people that you network with. Uh, Talk about the issues you're having, but don't never let it get to you to the point where you're not going to be there. Uh, I've seen that happen before. That's that's terrible. Uh, that bothers me every time I hear it uh, when I get the best of someone. And uh, don't let that happen. And uh, biggest thing is, is uh, the odds of one year totally changing or dictating the history of your operation, that's not going to do it. Uh, you know, manager, if you can define your risk, work on managing it. If you are in a high risk area or if you feel like, hey, I need to buy more insurance, a higher rate, do that. Do what your comfort level is for your business. Work with your lender. Again, work with your lender. Have a good lender. Talk about these things. Be proactive, not reactive, because there's some of this stuff in the backside. Hey, guess what? Then it is a loss. Yeah. But if you have a proactive mindset, you can stay ahead of it and define that risk and do some strategies to manage it. Uh, maybe you're not going to contract physical bushels, maybe do more hedges. Maybe you're going to do more paper uh, to limit your risk. So you don't get locked into delivery of something you, you don't have, you know, I mean, be adaptable. 
There's a lot of good right there at the end. When I said your advice, you just came, you just, it's like a fire hydrant, man. You just started just all that, but I like it all because what you just said there was uh, you're not going to, you can't change the weather and you, you have a weather consultant. So that way you are knowledgeable and you also can be predictive. You talked about preventive and the practices. It's all about preventive because once it's, once it's August and it's not raining, you can't do anything. You, it's all the stuff ahead of time. You talked about products that you use for stress mitigation. You also talked about why you should buy good seed that absolutely is one of its biggest traits is drought tolerance. Um, you just talked about, uh, you just talked about then uh, the way you view insurance and you should spend as much on insurance as it will allow you to still be profitable, but most importantly, so that you're not uh, a stress basket, right? And then you uh, talked about the personal side of it, making sure you've got somebody that you can uh, hash things out with because uh, you keep bottled up that uh, we know there's a reason why uh, farmer suicide rates are three to five times what they are in Main Street uh, uh, United States society. So, um, and that's a tragic thing. Good, good advice there at the end, Lee. Hey, just people just got to hang in there. If you're having an adverse year, that's not going to be every year. All right. So his name is Lee Lubers. My name is Damian Mason. You've been listening to Cutting the Curve. Check out all the great stuff we have at ExtremeAg.Farm. ExtremeAg.Farm, we've got over 100 episodes of Cutting the Curve. We've got videos that these guys are shooting on their farms. We've got product trials. We've got write-ups. We've got ties into successful farming articles. There's an amazing amount of wealth of information. It's all there for you. So share this with your farming friends and keep tuning in. Thank you very much. Mr. Lubers, thanks for being here. Hey, thanks. Till next time, we're talking about drought management, the practices, the products, and most importantly, the personal side of managing it when it's dry. Till next time, it's Cutting the Curve. That's a wrap for this episode of Cutting the Curve, but there's plenty more. Check out ExtremeAg.Farm, where you can find past episodes, instructional videos, and articles to help you squeeze more profit out of your farm. Cutting the Curve is brought to you by Advanced Drainage Systems the leader in agriculture water management solutions.